0: We are in a series that is called Full Hearts. So grab your Bibles with me. We're going to be looking in a couple of passages today. We're going to to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then uh, go ahead and get your finger in uh, Philippians. We'll be going there as well for just a moment. But what we've been asking God to do is to teach us um, just from His perspective about what we have, what we want, what we need, And then really more than anything, who we are, who we really are. What what is our identity? And some of us tie our identity to material things, and, and we're asking God to break us out of that and to help us understand who he says that we are. And in this process of this series, as I've been studying for it, and as I've just kind of been looking at my own life, I never... I never preach at you. I'm on the journey with you. I'm preaching to myself whenever I'm doing a series like this uh, or any series. And I've been asking God to show me um, areas of my life where I need to grow in this particular issue of contentment is what we're really digging in on. And you know what I've found about myself, and many of you probably in the same category, is without even really thinking about it, I have a tendency... Uh, and I don't really consider us pack rats, but I have a tendency to find myself surrounded by mountains of more. Just, it just seems to just happen. Has anybody, uh, anybody moved recently? Raise your hands. Anybody moved? Okay, or about to move? We moved uh, six years ago, and I remember right before we moved. I could not believe how much stuff we had accumulated in the time where we lived, where we were at. And it was just like an incredible amount of stuff that our young family accumulated. And, and I guess there comes a point where I have to ask, when is enough ever really enough. When is it enough? I love what G.K. Chesterton said about this. Uh, they said there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. I don't think that's true, though. But here's the other one. The other is to desire less, where something actually begins to shift within my heart. And, uh, but here's the question. Is it possible to desire less in a In a culture that is saturated with consumption and more, that tells you many times, and me, that my my net worth is the same as my self-worth, and we get that confused a lot of times. I mean, we're told this. It's marketed to us constantly to where we're unsatisfied unless we have this or that or whatever it could be. And so I actually had another prop that I was going to use today. I love to use visuals. I have a bag that is right around the corner in that uh, backstage that I was going to use. It is a bag filled with clothes and shoes that are mine that uh, I kind of felt led in in this series to kind of go and take an inventory of stuff in my house and to begin kind of going through some things. And the bag, when I finished, this was a few weeks ago, when I finished, the bag, literally, it's a 50 gallon bag, the bag was like this tall of stuff within 45 minutes in my closet. And I didn't even touch healthy stuff, I know better, okay? I just just went in and I just said, "I I need to start thinking intentionally about the things that are in my house that I am a steward or a manager over, and I'll explain that more in a minute. And so within 45 minutes, I had filled things up of things that, I'm I'm telling you, it's not junk. It's good stuff. I had junk that was in another bag that did go to the garbage. But this was a bag that was so big, I couldn't even pull it out here because there was too much stuff to navigate. It's sitting back there. I'm going to have to figure out what to do with it later, okay? Um, It's a good thing I've got great staff to help me with it because we're all going to need to carry it. I had a dolly to wheel it out here. It still didn't work. But that was just within a few minutes. And, 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 and just for me to begin to process, as I was looking in my closet, I don't mean to over-spiritualize this, but God, is there somebody that could use some of these things that maybe they're the rightful manager of these? Because for some reason, I bought them or maybe I somehow accumulated them, and they're not being used and 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 so is there somebody else that maybe could use this if i facilitated getting it into their hands and what what i kind of discovered again about myself and i think a lot of us are like this is we become many of us unintentionally these reservoirs of just collection where either we buy things and things just continue to come into our homes you know, if, if 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 the longer you live, I'm 51, and it's like the more stuff just continues to accumulate, and, and and we have a cleansing or a purging every few years, and I don't really think we're pack rats. I think we do our best. It's just ongoing stuff seems to be multiplying. You know what I found more than anything? T-shirts. I don't even buy those things anymore, man. But I end up with so many of them. I'm like, and there's stacks of them. I also, I used to, uh, I used to marathon, and so I was going through a lot of shoes on a regular basis. Uh, and I had a lot of, uh, a lot of athletic shoes uh, that I would cycle through. And uh, and then I would always tell myself this: I justify this. I will use this someday. And someday a lot of times really never comes because what's funny is my family has said like, dude, you like wearing like the same shirt like every other day. What's your deal? You know. But I've got a closet full of stuff and I started realizing somebody maybe could be better could better use this than me there's a principle that I'm not going to dive into in a deep teaching today but if you're newer here I do want you to understand where I'm coming from as a Christ follower maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet and I want you to understand kind of what we teach what we believe here at EVC maybe you're new to EVC we talk about living with open hands and not these tight-fisted hands on our stuff and here is here's what stewardship means it's not a word that we use a lot today a steward simply means this, a manager. You manage something that somebody else owns. And that is what I am as a follower of Jesus. Because in my, in my life, what I understand is that Jesus is my Lord, which means he is the owner of it all in my life. He owns everything. Now, some of us will say, well, I worked for that, and yeah, you did. God gave you the ability to work. I don't want to go into, uh, you know, into a debate about that. I just want you to understand where we're coming from when we say stewardship is, is there somebody else that would be a better steward of this or is the rightful steward of some of these things that are collecting dust in my house that is not junk, it's just stuff that somebody else probably needs to use. Somebody else probably can use it. It would meet a need in their life or or whatever. Now, now here's what I know is that uh, when it comes to the issue of clothes, I'm not asking you to do what I did. Although I do think that a good manager and a good steward should have an idea of the inventory that is within their management. And so... Uh, there are a lot of books that would suggest that you go and do an inventory. I started with my clothes and I'm going into other areas of our house. I'm going into our garage. I'm going into some other rooms and starting to determine, is there something that needs to go to somebody else? Now, there's some things that I could sell and maybe decide to do that, and that's okay. But, but there's also some things that I've just been feeling like, God just wants me to give this to somebody, and it's good stuff, not bad stuff. God wants, they could use it. It would be a blessing to them. So uh, we anticipate that some of you would, would feel the same way. Not, I'm not telling you you have to do this. I'm not trying to guilt you into this. I'm just saying, maybe you go through your clothes or you go through something, you decide, God's wanting me to do this. Now, good, well-meaning church people, here is what we do. We bring it all up here to the church. Please don't do that, Okay. When I told our staff about this, they were like, oh no, and construction's happening. Don't do that. But I do want to anticipate that some of you, and I want to help you, some of you want to get some of your things into the hands of of good, credible sources that will help you place those things. So there's a card you're going to receive on the outside. This is just one card that has a couple of contacts uh, of a of a network that we partner with called Servolution, and they're on the on the, they're on the west side of Eagle Mountain Lake. They partner with a lot of churches, and they've got some great uh, ways to facilitate clothing. Sometimes it's furniture; it's just different things. Take one of these on your way out, and if God puts it on your heart, He puts it on your heart. This is between you and the Lord. I just want to I want to help I want to help you in any way that I can. If the Lord is leading you to give some things and to and and to do these things now. Now in this process of doing this in my home, I've discovered some things about myself. One is that I've learned this, that more is not more, actually less is really more. Because when I started moving some of these things out of my house, clothes or whatever, even this morning when I went into my closet, Here's the thing, the stuff that's in that bag and some stuff that I've already given away, unless a burglar came in, if a burglar came in and took it, I probably wouldn't have even missed it, which is interesting. So, so more is not really more, sometimes really less is more. And, uh, and then the other thing that I've kind of started really discovering about myself is I can't seem, this seems to keep happening to me, I can't seem to get my fill of, of, what, of often what I really don't even need. Like I said, my T-shirts keep multiplying. So if I, if, if, I have, if, I, if I don't really need 20, well, 40 will be fine, right? It's like it just keeps happening. And, and, and I did the same thing with shoes, uh, athletic shoes, because I would say, well, I'll use those in yard work. Well, last time I checked when I was doing the yard work, I don't have eight pairs of feet, okay? So I would hang on to these things, Because I would think that was being a good steward, but really I think a better steward is trying to get it to somebody who really could use it. Somebody that really could benefit from it instead of it just being me collecting things. So we've been looking at this, as we started last week, a little bit about contentment. And we started with what does Jesus say about these kinds of things. And today we're going to look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let me give you some context, okay? Paul is going to give us, and he gives these believers that he's writing this letter to a pastor named Timothy who is shepherding a group of people in a church where he started a church in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus. And Paul is going to give some principles of what it looks like to pursue a contented life. Is that even possible in a world driven by consumption? Paul knows these people well because he lived among them and immersed himself in their culture as he was planting this church. And what Paul understood was that there were some disturbing things that were, that were emerging in these people who said that they loved Jesus and were following Jesus. So this wasn't written to people that didn't know Christ. It was written to people who who were in relationship with Jesus, but yet they were still lacking a satisfaction in their hearts, and uh, and, and they were, so as many of us will continue to seek, we'll try to fill our hearts with other things. And, and this is where they were at, and Paul said, what I, de- what I detect is that among the people who are in your church, and I think it's in this church too, it can, be, it can happen in my own heart, there are, there are people who are short-circuiting their relationship with Jesus because, the, the, because they're, they're in love with the things of the world. And it's not that we don't live in this world, but we, we're not to be of it, right? And, and so Paul confronts it, and Paul is going to even point out that there are some false teachers who have believed this and are propagating some false truths for their intent of manipulating people so that they can get wealthy. Oh man, that never happens in our culture today with preachers, right? Right? where we see it on an ongoing basis, where there are false teachers and false teachings, where there's manipulation that happens regarding material things. And this was happening back then too. And Paul said, I'm gonna call this out. And so he begins to show some traps of what materialism does, not only to the false teachers, but what it can do to the believers who believe the lies of those false teachers. So here's what he says. Chapter six, starting in verse five, Paul says this, these people, Who are these people? You got to ask that. It's the false teachers. These people always cause trouble. Know anybody like that? Don't look at them, okay? Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet, in fact, we read this with me out loud. Let's say this next verse out loud. Come on. Yet, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. You guys did awesome. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, say it with me, come on, let us be content. Let's come to that in just a second, because, man, that's a bold statement, (laughs) And it almost seems oversimplified. Paul is making some challenging statements to some people, but did Paul just not get the culture? Was Paul out of touch? These believers who are living in this culture, is Paul out of touch with our culture today? Does this apply for us 2,000 years later? Let me show you some things that Paul is going to point out and how to pursue and some motivations for living a contented life. How does that how does that happen? What does it look like? What are some concerns that he has? First, I want you to see that he, he's going to tell Timothy regarding this issue. He's going to give Timothy a sobering perspective for, for Timothy to, to teach the people that were under his care to have a mindset. What I would tell you is a mindset of, of being able to differentiate between what is temporal and what is eternal. Because sometimes we get these things mixed up in our lives and it causes confusion when we put great emphasis on things that are temporal and little emphasis on things that are eternal. And many of us flip that around in our lives. I know that I have. And here is what he's saying. Timothy, remind them of this. Remind them to roll back the clock in their life. and They may have a lot of stuff right now. Remind them that whenever they came into this world, they had nothing, and whenever they leave this world, they will have nothing. In other words, nothing's going with them. He's giving them a mindset of understanding the temporal nature of the things that we treasure and value today the things we look at, and he's saying, I want you to just remind them of this truth. May it ever be on their minds of how short life can be, and and, and what are we really treasuring in our lives? Remember, Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures here on this earth, but in, instead, store up treasures in heaven, temporal versus eternal, okay? It's not that we can't have things in this earth. We're going to talk about that some in this series, but it's that it's where our heart is found in how it is connected to these things. I found this illustration. I thought it was fascinating. Uh, several uh, years ago, there were some construction workers that were probably doing something like what was going on outside of our building, and it was in an area uh, where uh, that was outside of the city of Pompeii in that Italy uh, region. And and if you know about. Pompeii, what you know is that in 79 AD, there was an eruption of a volcano that buried the city and all of the people who lived there. It happened so fast and massive. In fact, nine Feet of, of of burning ash rained down upon these people and buried them. Many of them, there's there's just many of them. You find their corpses that are still preserved. Uh, and and it's really it's uh, so. Here's what they found. They were doing this construction and they unearthed this woman that they have they've called the Ring Lady. Okay, because this is what they found. They found her corpse. I didn't want to show you the whole thing because it's a little gruesome looking. But this is what you, she had rings all over not only this hand, but she also was clutching other valuables that it's clear that when this tragedy was happening, these were the things that she was trying to take with her because they were her treasures, but the immediacy of her death had stolen all of that, and it's clear that she didn't make it, but the stuff didn't also didn't go with her. And it's just something to think about. I love what Jim Elliott, who was a missionary, he was martyred for his faith and he felt called to go and he had this understanding of an eternal perspective. This is what he said. He said, a person is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. That's deep. I had to read that several times. But, but think some about what he's saying here. And Paul is bringing up a sobering perspective to Timothy to remind these Christians in that Ephesian church that, that their value was, is being found. Much of what they valued and they treasured, much more of an emphasis was found in the, in the temporal than their way of thinking about the eternal. So he's trying to remind them, you don't take it with you, You don't take it with you. You don't come into this world with it. You don't take it with you. And then he's going to, next he's going to give another thing that I want to show you, okay? It's what I saw in this, in this contented life. He's going to give a statement of simplicity, okay, as this principle of a contented life, a statement of simplicity. Now, we read it a second ago, and here's what he said. If we have food and clothing, let us be content. Now, i got to tell you, it sounds great, But I know for me, and I'm sure for you, it sure does raise a lot of questions. What is he saying? Is he saying it's wrong to have anything other than food and clothing? It also sounds too simplistic. And is it too simplistic for a culture that, let's just say, is complex whenever it comes to the ability to obtain lots of things? We live in a complex culture, don't we? where you can pretty much get anything at any point by the click of a button that I struggle with on my phone. I know which one you're... You probably struggle with it too. That Amazon one, man, it messes me up, okay? What's funny is that the simplicity of this sounds right, but the complexity of it sounds unrealistic. What kind of culture is Paul living in? Is it just like... Archaic, to where that's all they really had, they lived in caves, you know, they only needed a, 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 you know, a little bit of food and some clothing, or was their culture complex and sophisticated as ours is? Paul was looking around and he understood the same kind of culture that we are living in was the culture that the Ephesian church was also living in. Now, they didn't have apps and all the stuff that we have, but here's what I want you to to know. Remember, he was with them for three years. He lived among them. He walked with them. He understood their conversations. He understood their heartaches. He understood their struggles. He loved these people, and he understood what they were battling with, and he's trying to help them because he knows what is short-circuiting for many of them, what's short-circuiting their relationship with God was their love for their stuff. And so where was Ephesus? Where was it? Okay, ancient Ephesus, we've got a map for you to kind of get an idea. You can see how it relates to Italy and Rome, and down there is Israel and Jerusalem. And so what I want you to know about Ephesus, it was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. Okay? And, uh, and, and so it, it was a massive city. This is uh, some of the... Um, Uh, The artifacts and some of the the ruins that you would find if you would go there, even today, it's in modern-day Turkey. And uh, these are the streets that Paul, uh, uh, imagine those packed with people. Entertainment was a huge value. Stuff was a huge value. They had a marketplace that was the size of two football fields, and this was a port city, uh, much like what Houston would be, or New York uh, City, or, or L.A., where, where things were coming in all, from all over the place, and they had a huge market, okay? So in this market that was called the Agora, what do you think you could buy there? Just about anything that your heart desired. Sound familiar? And Paul saw this and he understood this. I mean, if you wanted, if you wanted the finest cotton from, from Egypt, you could get it. If you wanted the jewels and the stuff from Rome or the fashion from this place over here, Tharatara, that had the, the purple cloth, and everything was coming into Ephesus. And here is what Paul was saying tell them. To remember that they can't take any of that with them, that they didn't come in with it. They can't take it with them. And and tell them to remember to be content, to to be content with food and clothing. And they won't find it in the things that they're pursuing. Now, again, if you're like me, that statement of simplicity raises these questions. Is Paul out of touch? Does Paul want us to live this aesthetic Monk type lifestyle. Are we all called to just go sell everything we have and not and not have a home, not have a car, not have a job? What is he what is he getting at? And you may be saying or thinking like this, okay? What if I hate my job? What if I hate my job? Barty, you are you telling me I should just stay put, shut my mouth, and never desire to improve myself or improve my situation? Is that what Paul's saying? Bart, we're trying to get out of this apartment that we're living in. Our family is growing and we feel like it's a good time. Are you saying that Paul is saying we should just only worry about food and clothes? We can't ever think about, you know, other kinds of things that might enhance our life. Is that what what he's saying? Oh, dude, please tell me this doesn't apply to vacations because we've got one planned. Oh, man, I can't wait to go. Are you saying that he's saying that this is excess and that we shouldn't ever disconnect and we can't go to nice places? Is this what contentment is? Oh, we're doing a remodel of our home. or oh, we're about to. Are you telling us that it is sinful to, to do that? Is that what he is saying contentment is? That it's wrong to ever upgrade or improve or have goals? I don't think that's what he's saying. I got a, a good grip on understanding this definition of contentment. There's a pastor named Jeff Mannion. He's written a book called Satisfied. And in his book, this is what he says Contentment, I think this is really good. Contentment is the cultivation of a satisfied heart, it is the discipline of being fully alive. Did you hear? It is a discipline of being fully alive to God. And others whatever our material circumstances contentment is not achieved through getting everything we want but by training the heart to experience say the next two words with me full joy and deep peace even when we don't have what we want even when we don't have what we want the point that Manion is making is that it's not Contentment isn't intended to destroy natural desires that are going to emerge within us. It's not to frown upon goals. It's not to say you can't shift jobs or what. It's not saying that. It's not that you shouldn't maximize opportunities or saying you can't take a vacation and disconnect. Here is what contentment really means. Contentment is about helping me manage where I currently am at this moment. It's connected to my heart. It's helping me manage where I hope to be with a proper filter because you are going to desire some change. It's not wrong to change some things. It's about, and I love, he uses the word discipline. He uses the word train. Paul will talk in Philippians about how I have learned to be content. We'll read that in a second. But here is the thing I'm wanting you to see. It's about training. It's disciplining your heart to be satisfied no matter what your circumstance is now. Because that's all you really have control over is right now, correct? Right now. Okay, so I did bring, I couldn't get the big bag out here, but I did bring a couple of other props. I'm the prop pastor, all right? Um, There's a carpet square there. Here's one that's there, okay? This one here represents here and now. Let's call this one here and now. This represents your current job. This represents what you're currently driving. It represents your relationships. It represents your home, your neighborhood. It represents everything. This is your and my here and now. That one, let's call it this, then and there. I might want to get over here to then and there at some point in whatever circumstance that may look like okay um, over here and here and now there are going to be things that emerge within the here and now that are not going to be ideal would you agree there are going to be some really imperfect people that come into my square. i got to get a bigger square because it's too small. They'll be right in, my, right in my face, all right? But there's going to be imperfect people. There's going to be imperfect situations. There's going to be things that begin to happen in my here and now. And many times that's going to create a desire that, that will be kind of natural to, to shift something and to get to then and there. That's like really could be a dream for some of us but here is what I think contentment helps us with and here's a question we all have to ask because all of us are here in the here and now the question is is it possible for me to be content here and now before I ever get to then and there is that possible Is it possible for me to experience this? I think this is what Paul is driving towards. Or can peace and joy and happiness in life only ever happen if I ever get to then and there? Here is the reality. We might get to then and there, but there are a lot of us that will never get to our then and there. Because sometimes we just can't control those factors. What can we control? What's going on within me in the here and now? what's happening in the here and now, right? In fact, if I can't experience some peace and some joy in and circumstances that are not ideal in the here and now, if I can't manage that at this point, in fact, I would even suggest to you that in some places, in a lot of ways, I probably wouldn't be able to manage it very well over here. Many times the here and now is the training ground for getting us to the then and there. And so... We think that when we get to the then and there, you know what's going to happen? There will be a perfect scenario, perfect people. Nobody's ever going to come and be difficult. not going to be a difficult circumstance at this job or at this, in this situation. There's, I mean, everything seems to be in a perfect kind of package over here. And then what happens? Something always goes south a little bit in some way. You know what I've also found about myself? Because I'm a, I'm a very much a then and there kind of guy. I have found myself guilty of missing all that is happening in here and now. Because my mindset is so much about, I'm visionary, about driving towards getting to then and there. And I miss all of the things of being alive to God and alive to the people that God has put in my life in the here and now. And I want to say this to some of you. Some of you are missing the people that God has in your life right now in the here and now. Because you're so focused about what is out there. And if I can only ever get to then and there. If, I can, if that can change. If this circumstance. And then we get here and this is what I found about myself. There's always another then and there. Does anybody else do that? Oh, please don't. I know I need therapy. Okay. I know I need it. Does anybody else have a problem with this? You know what's funny? A guy said to me right after the service, and he's really smart and he knows his Bible really well. He said, it's funny, as you started this, I thought, this is so simplistic. And yet what he said, and I I appreciated his honesty, yet I'm struggling with the simplistic side of it and applying it in my life because I'm battling with this still. And he knows a lot of stuff. And some of us know a lot of stuff, but we're just constantly on this pursuit, okay? And and we can't ever seem to get to the then and there. Socrates in that Greek culture, this is what he said. He who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. And that, that's brilliant. And that's from a secular perspective. So... Learn something in this here and now. So, Paul doesn't just give this pie in the sky advice about contentment. Paul doesn't just theorize about this and say how wonderful it sounds. Paul is going to live this out. And he had such credibility whenever he wrote to the people that he loved because Paul spent a great deal of his time not in an ideal situation. Do you know where Paul spent much of his time? In prison. Not a very good here and now, would you say? And then he would say things like this. Philippians, he wrote to a church about how to be joyful whenever things weren't going great. How to have joy. He talked about anxiety. He talked about fear. He talked about all the stuff that we battle with. And he says this, while he's in prison, I have learned how to be content. Oh, Lord, teach me. Amen? Teach me, help me, God, in this, to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Let that speak to whatever your situation you're in right now. Every includes that. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul said, I've learned this, and he's got such credibility because he's living in a prison while he's writing this. And he's saying this, what I've had to do is I've had to train my heart. What I've had to do is condition it. Because it's going to desire. Now let me ask you, do you think while Paul was in the prison, do you think he... He would have loved to experience the then and there. Yeah, you know what his then and there, though, was in his mind? It wasn't a temporal then and there. He said, what I'm going to do right now to live is Jesus Christ in the here and now. But to die my then and there, it's gain. Because it's only going to be better. His mindset, okay? So he's backing all of this up now now, here's, here's how we can begin to apply some of this. I know that some of you, maybe you're in a place today, and I know this because I talk to a lot of you, maybe you're in a job you absolutely hate. And I know it happens to lots of folks, and you don't care for it. Maybe the people are difficult. Maybe the circumstances are, are challenging. Some of you, you, you love your job. Praise God for that. But there are a lot of people that struggle with this. Maybe you, maybe you don't feel like you're being used and fulfilled, you know, and you just are struggling. And, and you're wondering, does this mean that I can't think about what, what another job might look like? That's not what's being said here. Here's what I would suggest. If, you, if you're in that place, apply for other jobs. Network with other people. Understand that there's nothing wrong with maybe seeking to improve your situation. Just know this, that in the meantime, God still has you in the here and now. Where you are at and don't waste a day of it. God still has you. If you're a believer, he still has you in a place where he wants to use you to impact even the imperfect people that get on your nerves where you work. And that he wants you to understand what it looks like to have joy in your life. I would even say this. I would say in some cases, many times, I'm not saying this is your situation, but in a lot of places we get in the here and now, I think a lot of times God will not allow us to graduate to the then and there because there's still so much that he's trying to teach us in the here and now and we just won't seem to get it. And so while we're in the here and now, we grumble, we complain, we, you know, we're ungrateful for even the good things and we just only focus only on the negative. Am I talking to the right people? We do this, don't we? There was another group of people that did this. God rescued them out of Egypt. They were enslaved for 400 years and God did miraculous things in front of their eyes. It was the nation of Israel. He rescued them. He saved them within days. Their circumstances in the here and now in the desert were not good. And what did they begin to do? Complain and grumble. And God said, I'll make it short. God said, you know what? (laughs) They're not ready for the promised land of the then and there. Give them another lap around the desert. And they did that for 40 years, folks. And we we think that they are so different. We'd never do that, would we? And we, God says, man, I love you. Because here's what I know: you're going to get to the then and there. You're going to get over there. You're going to think that's going to fix everything. But your heart hasn't been fixed yet. I want to fix your heart first in the here and now before you ever get to the then and there. All right, I got I got to hurry. Okay. Here we go. I love what uh, Pearl Black, another missionary, said. Many people lose the small joys in the hope for the big happiness. You're missing stuff now. You're missing your kids now. You're missing this relationship now because it's, oh, man, we got to get. We got to get over there. That's how we get. I want to go to uh, the last point for those who are running the slides today. Um, Paul says to Timothy, back to 1 Timothy, he's going he's to tell him, teach him proper perspective. He's going to say, I want you to understand the, the simplicity concerning contentment. I know it sounds simple, but master this. And then he's going to give a strong caution, a really strong caution. And he uses some descriptive terms. Remember, envision Paul. You saw that, that, that drone footage of, of ancient Ephesus. Envision him walking on the streets, seeing packed with people, okay? And he was so burdened for what he saw in their lives. Many of them were Christ followers that he had shared the gospel with. So he gives a strong caution. He says, but people, verse 9 of chapter 6, people who long to be rich fall into temptation. They fall into it and are Trapped. Some of us, we have these desires to get to then and there so bad we will do anything. We will go into enormous amounts of debt. And what happens? We feel trapped. God wants me to do something great for Him. I can't do it because I'm trapped. God's calling me to go over here. You know, I can't do it. I'm trapped. People get trapped. It's like, a, I, wanted, I wanted to find one of those big bear traps, okay? I didn't know where to get one of those, okay? I wanted to do that. I was afraid also I might hurt myself up here. Um, but, but it's like, if you've ever seen an animal that's in a trap, it's, it's sad. They're desperate, trying everything to get out. So they'll do desperate things. All right, so he says they are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge. There's another descriptive word. It's an immersive. It means are immersed. They are drowning in ruin and destruction. Their families are falling apart. Their lives are a wreck in the here and now because of this. And then he says this, for the love of money. He doesn't say money is wrong. Love, the passion for it, is the root of all kinds of evil, all kinds of brokenness in relationships, all kinds of problems and greed and everything else. And then he says this, and some people, remember he's talking about Christians, craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves. Pierced. I'm hearing some really just... Descriptive words. Trapped, drowning, bleeding. We get trapped. We get to where we're financially drowning because of our desperation. And many of us just kind of feel like we're bleeding out and we have no energy, no power, no whatever. So again, seems very simple, but this says they're bleeding, pierced themselves with many griefs or sorrows that doesn't sound like the kind of lifestyle i want to live but many of us are choosing it because we're believing in the lies that the culture tells us and paul says well i want to tell you a way to escape that I want to tell you how to do it because I I know in my own power, I fail in this over and over. How do I? I got to go back to what Paul was saying in Philippians. I've learned how to be content. Well, how do I do that? This is what he says, Philippians 4, for I can do everything through Christ. Everything. This is in context with contentment and peace, and joy in the here and now, everything through Christ, who gives me strength. Thank you. Amen. So, there is hope in the here and now with Jesus. Do you have him? Because I'm telling you, he's enough. All the other stuff, it's good stuff. There's nothing wrong with getting a new job. Nothing wrong with remodeling your home. Nothing wrong with maybe buying a new home, getting a new place. Just know that's not going to satisfy your soul. There's only one that can do that, and it is a relationship with Jesus. And here's the beauty. He promises us abundant life in the here and now. And then our then and there also is not just a temporal thing. If you're in Jesus Christ, we will be with him in eternity. No more imperfect people. No more imperfect circumstances. Let's pray together. Maybe today you feel like you've been trapped and you're drowning and you feel hopeless. I want you to know Jesus loves you. He meets you right where you are. He wants to minister to your heart right now. Call out to him today. If you're a believer, he, he loves you. He wants, to, he wants to do something in your heart. I'm not saying he won't fix your circumstances. He might, but he certainly can go to work and filling your heart up with joy and peace. Some of you, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've been on the search. Today, Jesus is trying to convey to you he wants a relationship with you. And he did that when he died on the cross for our sins, taking care of our sin problem so that we could be restored into the relationship with Jesus. Call upon him today in faith. Ask him to be your savior. Maybe you're a believer that has pierced yourself with many sorrows and you've been wandering. the beautiful thing about our Jesus is he is such a God of grace. All it takes is you just saying, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to come home one step and he meets you right where you are. Lord, would you give all of us here today grateful hearts for the here and now. Knowing that you're in control, knowing that you're working, we rest in you today. May your peace rest upon your people today. We seek you today, Lord. We love you. We worship you. In your name we pray.